Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and we are back in Studio B. Praise God. Yes. And I'm here with Pastor Nick Plummer. Yeah, very good to be here. Glad to be here. It is good to be here. It is good. It is good to be here. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. If this is your first time here, uh, go ahead and stop what you're doing and subscribe to this podcast, whether you're on the podcast apps, you're on YouTube, uh, if you're on Facebook, make sure that you follow us uh, so that whenever we put out new episodes that you can get uh, what we're putting out. We only put out like one thing a week, maybe two. Here and there, there's two, but mostly it's one. So we don't flood you with, with content, but we do provide you what we think is good, wholesome you know, studies of the Word of God. Oh, yeah. Amen. And we really are diligent about putting out things that we think are valuable um, and that will edify your life. Amen. That's right. And uh, and again, to those of you that are, are, are new to us, we call ourselves Christians with Torah. Why? Because we believe in the basic Christian doctrine. We're Christians. We believe in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. We believe that He's the Son of God and that He came to earth in bodily form that he died for our sins, he was buried, and that God raised him from the dead for the remission of our sins. And that's what Passover is all about. And today we're going to be talking about Passover. So for the first four seasons, we did the Torah portions. We actually took the first five books of the Bible. We uh, took the Torah portions that are as put out by the Jewish people, the rabbis, and we split it up into those same segments, and we studied them for four years. And so if you had a a question about a Torah portion or something like that— yeah, they are. You can go back and listen to those. We've been studying the book of Matthew this year, and that's what we're in now. We're actually still uh, finishing up the book of Matthew. We're almost to the end, and it's, it's good timing too, right? Because we're right here during the Passover season. But today we wanted to take a little reprieve from the Matthew study and stop and talk about Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So to start us off, I want to just give us some basic feast information. Because one of the things about the feasts of the Lord that's some confusion is people say that these are the Jewish feasts. Right. Right. And then other people will say, well, they're the Hebrew roots feasts. Right. Or they're the this or the that. Well, I'm going to read you some scripture and I'm going to let you guys, uh, we'll come to a conclusion. There's together. a lot in here on that verse too. So I'm going to read you Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2. And it says this, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. So Pastor Nick, whose feasts are they? Uh, They're the Lord's feasts. They belong to him. They belong to (laughs) Yahweh. They're his feasts. They are the Lord's feasts. And so the eight feasts found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 44, are the Lord's feasts, and they should be kept today, right? They're a gift. Uh, I would imagine this is God is here in Leviticus 23 writing an invitation to you personally, saying, I am throwing a party. And yeah, we we always want to celebrate something, so I find it very interesting. Yeah. I mean, would you really, if you have the choice, celebrate the Lord's feasts? Or pagan holidays? You know, uh, 
Jim Staley back in the day. That's actually watching his videos is how I got into Hebrew. Truth roots, or tradition. Or tradition. And uh, that's a little intense. It's not for everybody, you know that one. But I think it's for everybody. I mean, I agree that you should watch it, but it's it's my reaction when I finished that was I was like, can I unwatch that? <laughs> I was like, now I'm accountable for this information. Right, and it's, and it's faith that allows us to do it. But he would say this this phrase that I, to this day, still think it's the best phrase. Can't we just do Bible things in Bible ways instead of Bible things in pagan ways? <laughs> right? I mean, doesn't it just make sense? Let's just do Bible things in Bible ways. That, right. I think people can understand that. Right. We're not saying, because all this argument of you don't have to do that, or you don't have to do this. Well, you don't have to celebrate Christmas or Easter. Right. So we're not we're not getting into. But this. We, I think if you ask ourselves, Ryan, like who even wh- asked that question? But why do we do, do you what have we do? To celebrate Christmas? But why Nobody do we do what question. we do? Okay, right. well it's a tradition. It's a custom. This is what I and it gave me happy right. feelings because the family was together and this and that. Yes. You know, you why cut like down mother. a perfectly good tree and bring it to your home and the tree dies? I mean, you know, we have to ask ourselves about this. Yeah, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm just saying that. I mean, there's just why do we do what we do? Right. It's because it's traditions. It's customs. It gives you, you know, a, a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, and this and that. And right. there's just something about it, you know. But yeah. there, there is something about it. Do you have Romans eleven seventeen pulled up for the second next point? <laughs> I think you should pull that up. Um, so the Lord is giving us an invitation. He's giving an invitation to you personally. He's saying to you, he's saying, I want you to meet with me on my appointed day. I've appointed this day. This, this word where it says feasts, it's not a feast. It's a moed, an appointed time. A time. Yeah, so all of Israel, whether natural branches or wild branches, should keep the feasts of the Lord. So Romans eleven seventeen, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Uh, and I want to read 18 too. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So basically, Yeshua is the root of the olive tree. That's right. So this is your opportunity to be a part of Israel as a wild branch. That's right. And we so are a whole wild different branches. breed, a whole different thing. Go. It's not a denomination. You are actually a part of Israel, the Commonwealth of yeah. Israel, Ephesians two. So that's uh, that's pretty cool, if you ask me. And this is the Apostle Paul. So I want you to think about the Orthodox Jewish community. When you think about like the Orthodox Jewish community, does it look like they're pretty uniform? I think so. It almost looks like they wear a uniform, right? Right. Black hat, black tie, uh, white shirt, black suit, right? There's like, that's of course the uh, the European, European right. That's the Ashkenazi look. Judaism, of course, yeah. I agree with that. But but we here currently we look over at the Jewish people and we think that it's pretty uniform. Right. And then you think about the wild branches. Right. And when you compare the cultivated olive tree <laughs> right. to the wild olive tree, I mean, there's there's just no comparison, right? Uh, one is uniform, one is not, right? One has a halakha, there's a way, and they all do things the same way, and the other one can't agree on anything. You know what I mean? So That's true. So it's wild, wild branches and natural branches, but God, through his son and through the blood yes. of Yeshua, grafts us into Israel. Right. And so this word convocation is the Hebrew uh, word mikra, which you could find this in the Strong's uh, 4744. This is an important word to know. The word moed is important to know, and the word mikra is important to know. And this means a called out, something called out, I'm sorry, a public meeting 
a rehearsal. It's a proclamation. I love it. I think of official. Something called out in a public meeting. I would say that this is almost like an official meeting. So when you think about like uh, a board meeting, like board of directors get together. Yeah. Or a county commission. uh, There's a call to order. Oh, call to order. Seder. Seder means order. You know, um, that this is a, a, an official meeting and that, that God is setting an appointed time for an official meeting. It's a holy convocation. You just tell people, hey, where are you going? I'm going to Amikra. <laughs> oh, really? I'm going to Copacabana. <laughs> There's so, a problem right here's there. the question. What is the name of the first feast day that falls in the spring season and when is it celebrated? Well, it's Passover or Pesach on the 14th day in the first month. So the 14th Brand day. Brand new feast cycle. That's right. Tomorrow night. So uh, this year, this falls on April 5th in the evening, according to the, the Jewish Orthodox calendar. That's right, calendar. the lunar calendar. That's right. Um, so 14th day in the evening. And so it's funny because I take for granted, because I've been doing this so long, that people would get the calendar and how it falls on a different day every year, right? Uh, obviously, the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar right. that is corrected by uh, following a solar system. right. And so uh, this year, it's on April 5th, but sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's later in April. It kind of moves right. around a little bit, um, and, uh, and I love it. I was listening to a rabbi talk one time explaining the calendar, and let me just tell you, they, they boil it down to, like, when I say, like, fractions of a day, I want to say that he's saying, like, the 785th part of a day, something, like, really minuscule. And we think we study. I mean, these guys are, are serious. So, detail. so where did the children of Israel celebrate the first Passover? Egypt. Egypt. So in Egypt, we all know this story of the Exodus, right? And uh, what were the three ingredients that were needed to celebrate the Passover in Egypt? You had to have a lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. That's right. And That's a principle right there. And you had, so you had a lamb. And the three is divine of the Lord, so... And if your family was too small to would, eat a whole lamb, you would, you would share with another family. Right. I right? like that. I do like that. Nobody left behind. Nobody left behind. Nobody left out. And, and so what did, well, we'll get to that in a minute, what we call this Passover. But what was applied to the door frames of the Israelites' dwelling place in order for the destroyer to pass over? The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. And what did they use? What plant did they use to spread it? Hyssop. Hyssop. That's, right. That's like a uh, natural, it's like an antioxidant. So it's, a, it's funny it's that cleansing. you say that. It's a cleanser. Because I was about to mention that David in the Psalms talks about cleanse me with hyssop, right? He mentions that. Um, today, you may not realize this, but one of your favorite spices, the spice za'atar, is uh, hyssop, the plant that naturally grows um, in Israel, and uh, sesame seeds. That's all za'atar is. Wow. What else is cool about Zatar is that I remember walking on my night watch. I was in Israel on the mountain in the community there, and I had been put on security duty with another guy. And we're walking, we smell this fragrant smell. We realize that that's because we're told the hyssop grows wild on that mountain. And it's the hyssop right there on the mountain uh, growing wild. That's wild. And then you just pick it up, you could just flake it off and stick it right in your food. Yeah, and it comes as like an oil too, aromatherapy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps to cleanse. Now, uh, the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost, but what would happen if you did not apply the blood of the lamb to your doorframe? Well, the firstborn of both man and beast would die. So you should probably put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The firstborn of both man and beast would die, yeah. So the tenth and final plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn. The very first Passover took place over 3,500 years ago. 
And we all know the story, right? We've, we've seen Charlton Heston's uh, Ten Commandments. We know, we know what happens. Um, but the very first Passover is called what? The family Passover. I should have made a little note here. I'll, I'll make it later. I'll make an edit here. Um, so the tenth and final plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn, right? Yep. So what was the ninth plague? Uh, darkness. Okay. What happened before the firstborn, Yeshua, died? Oh, darkness. There was darkness. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it is. I know. So it's almost like he's sending you a, 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 a you know, a template. Hey, look, here's a, yeah, here's a parallel here. Check this out. There was darkness. Well, it was the middle of the afternoon, so the sun was supposed to be out. Yeah. Um, so it's called the family Passover. Uh, I love this because, like I mentioned, if, if your lamb was too big for your family to eat by itself, you would get together with another family, and your families would come together for the Passover. Right. And you'd huddle up, you know? So family in Hebrew is mishpacha. Right. So, so I start out the newsletter, dear mishpacha, <laughs> in family parentheses for those that don't know. Yeah. Mishpacha means family. Mishpacha. So what is the name then given of the second Passover in Deuteronomy 16.1? It's, it's the congregational Passover. So if we look at this, we see a progression, because after the family Passover, you have the congregational Passover, and it's celebrated in Jerusalem where God's name is. Congregations are made up of families and other individuals. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So then now we start out with a family Passover, and God saves families one at a time. Then he says, hey, everyone together is going to celebrate the Passover as a memorial of that event as a congregation. And we're going to do this in the temple or the, the tabernacle at the place where I put my name. You right? know, um, I just got a thought. Check this out. This is very interesting. In Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, Observe the month of Abib. And keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. So that's what he calls the first month as Abib. Right. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Verse 2 of 16 of Deuteronomy. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Right. Now I just got this thought. Think about this. This is deep. So... The first Passover was where? Egypt. In Egypt, yeah. Egypt represents the world. Mm -hmm. So all of us are in the world, and we come to faith, and we're, and, we, and we're families, our wives and our children, and we come together with others, and it's called Mishpachah, the family of God, the family of Israel. But think about this. Now he's saying you're going to have a congregational Passover in Jerusalem. So look at what he's done for us, Ryan. Oh, yeah. Now we all want to go to Jerusalem. That's right. I had the privilege in 2005 to do a Passover Seder in Jerusalem. That's cool. On Passover. Yeah, yeah. it was very cool. And then, of course, in 2015, I fulfilled my bucket list, you know, of the three national feast days, Passover, uh, Shavuot, and then, of course, Tabernacles. Yeah. So just something to think about. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I see where we're getting really focused where we talk about the third Passover, but it's all going to tie in together. Yeah, it does. It all, it all comes together. Um, in the place where his name is. You know, what's cool is that the Passover and Yeshua's sacrifice and the Akedah, which is the binding of Isaac, where Abraham um, is going to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. The mountain, the place is named. Do you know what the name of the place is? 
It's Mount Moriah. Moriah, right? And Moriah in Hebrew, what does it mean? Do you know? It means the place God chooses. <laughs> wow. So Mount Moriah in the story of Abraham is the place God chooses. It's no coincidence that here you're reading the scriptures from Deuteronomy because those scriptures tell us that it's going to be what? In the place God chooses. The right. same place Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. They sacrificed the Lamb of God That's even true. to this day. Um, and what's cool is this is a foreshadowing of a, of a future sacrifice. And that's the movie that's out, His Only Son. So it does, when does it come out? It comes out like next week or so? or It was Friday. Oh, it did? Yeah, well, there you go. Shows you what I know. But uh, yeah, His Only Son put out by Angel Studios, the same studio uh, that's been making like The Chosen. Right. Um, but uh, His Only Son is a new movie that's out in theaters now, I guess. So what did John the Baptist say when he saw Yeshua coming towards him? This is so powerful because people get this wrong. Mm-hmm. But he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, mm-hmm. not the sins. Doesn't cover. The one sin. Yeah, it doesn't cover the sin. Takes them away. Takes them away. Yeah, animal sacrifices cover sins. Jesus takes them away. Right, which we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Um, so uh, why don't you read John three sixteen and 17? Okay, first. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, uh, I know that this verse gets that gets used a lot. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we hear this verse and we're like, God's oh, alive in the world. You know, yeah. it kind of becomes white noise to us. Um, but these are very powerful scriptures. They are. I love even more that this is Yeshua talking to Nicodemus in their night meeting. Right. Okay. And that he's saying these words to him because he was already talking to him about, hey, in order to to um, be saved, you must be born again. Right. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. Right. And he's saying, wait, you're the teacher of Israel and right. you don't understand these things? Like what hope does the all of Israel have if you don't understand these things? You're their teacher, you know? Right. And so it's cool, but I want to also just, just break down a couple of things. First, it's his only begotten son. Okay, so you read the Bible and you see the sons of God, meaning the angelic host, right? The the principalities that God has put in authority over different geographical areas, right? Even some of them that rebelled against Him were called sons of God. Even Lucifer, right? Right, was called the son of God, or, or not Lucifer, but Satan, I should say. Right. But this is His only begotten Son, right? Meaning the right. one that He birthed onto the earth. Um, and That's why Isaac was the only begotten of Abraham and Sarah. Correct. Not Ishmael. Right. And then you have uh, whosoever believeth in him. So the important piece is faith, right? And should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, how long is everlasting, Pastor Nick? It's a long time. It's a long time. Never yeah. ending. At least a couple years, right? So, and then it says this, and this is for all of the people that have something to say about the sacrifice that Yeshua made for us. It says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, there's people that are detractors saying like, oh, well, you have to believe in Jesus or you go to hell. Well, what a loving God, huh? And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a way to flip somebody's very kind gesture right. on its head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, talk about looking a gift horse in the mouth. Listen, the Lord himself came to earth and died right. so, 
literally was beaten brutally for your sin, for the things that you did. Not what he did, what you did. Right. And it's like, what else do you want this guy to do? Like, how much more are you going to ask of him, honestly? Uh, right. And all you have to do is just receive the gift? Like, come on. I mean, this is, this is not, uh, not complicated. You know, the gospel is simple. Right. Right? Very simple. So we're going to get into the Passover itself, kind of looking at how Yeshua celebrated the Passover and all that. Uh, did Yeshua make preparations for the feast in advance for the disciples? He sure did. He actually says, I have longed to celebrate this Passover with you. But yeah, he made, he made, he found the place. Isn't yeah, that funny? He said it And the up. place where the Lord chooses. Yeah. Well, he chose the place to do the Passover. Yeah, the upper he already, room, right? he, Yeah, he, he figured that out. Um, and, but here's the question then. Did the disciples have to do their part in preparing for the Passover? Yes. Okay. See, my wife's working on it right now. That's good. That's good. So, uh, Matthew twenty six eighteen, uh, Mark fourteen thirteen through sixteen, and Luke twenty two ten through twelve show how Yeshua prepared ahead of time a yeah. place for oh, yeah. people to go. And it's it's so prophetic. I prepared a place, right? Because that's I what know. he says for us, right? But so then he initiates the Yeshua, uh, Yeshua's disciples have to participate in Matthew twenty six nineteen, Mark fourteen sixteen, and Luke twenty two thirteen. We see how they then had to go and actually to the place and get things set up. Right, that for, is interesting. For the Seder and all that. So I was watching a uh, thing. I think it was by One one for Israel Ministries or Messianic Ministry out of Israel. Um, you may recognize their videos. They do some of those videos where they'll show people giving their testimony with like just, it's a black with like a light over the them. chair. Right, in the chair. Or they also have videos where they go around talking about Isaiah 53 through Jerusalem. And this is Jewish people talking to Jewish people. Right. So I'm, I have no comments on, on yeah. proselytization and all that. However... Um, the video I was watching was some of their scholarly folks talking about the Passover Seder and how a lot of secular scholars believe that the original Seder tradition comes from followers of Yeshua, from people that follow the way. And it's interesting because you look at the Seder itself and some of the steps in it, and we as Christians, when we sit down, like if you were to go to an Orthodox Seder as a Christian and sit down, and everything was in English, because I think the confusion would be mostly the, the Hebrew and Yiddish verbiage that it gets used, because they s- speak kind of English and, you know, other language. Um, but if everything is in English, then you'd be like, wow, that's about Jesus. This is Jesus. This is, I mean, just you just see Yeshua all over the place in the Seder, if everything's in English. Uh, examples of this would be like the Afikoman, that which comes later, okay? So you have the one that you keep there, right, that's broken, and you wrap it, in a burial cloth, and then you take it and you bury it, or you go put it and hide it somewhere, and then the children have to go and find it, and they bring it back, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point that you made, that, that, that there's a lot of symbolism. There is. There is. And, and, and so what they're saying is that the Orthodox uh, tradition evolved out of a Messianic tradition, you know, um, and that that's how it came about. And I was very interested to hear that because I was like, wow, you know, I never, you know, would have expected that. I was always just like, wow, what a crazy thing that these traditions are orthodox traditions. And they, and they, they stripe the bread. Oh, yeah. Like the matzah, how it's pierced, bruised, and striped. It's fired and, and striped. And yeah, yeah. Striped and fired. Exactly. So, all right. We're up to Matthew 26. Okay. Matthew chapter 26, verses uh, 26 through 29. You want to read that? I'll read it. Yes. So we, we've talked about the family Passover coming out of Egypt. We talked about the congregational Passover in Jerusalem. Now we're at the third Passover, 
which is, of course, the renewed covenant. So Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to uh, 29 is actually the renewed covenant. I mean, there it is. All right, 26. It's not really new, it's renewed. So it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what did the unleavened bread symbolize that Yeshua wanted the disciples to eat? His body. His body. Mm -hmm. And what did the wine symbolize that Yeshua wanted the disciples to drink? His blood. You know, it's interesting if you stop and look at this. Um, God takes us, breaks us, and gives us. Right. So that's really the picture. God can only use broken things. Yeah. A broken and a contrite heart, the Lord your God will not despise. Yeah. You and know, to uh, that point, yeah. even at the Seder, right, they take that afikoman when it comes back and they break it into pieces and they pass it out. It's very yeah. communion-esque. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew twenty-six twenty-eight, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And of course, the name given to the third Passover is the personal Passover. Once again, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 20. That's the renewed covenant. Anybody ask you, what's the renewed covenant? Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. So the thing is, Ryan, you know, it's kind of funny how for those of you that are Trekkies, I'm not really a Trekkie. I'm, <laughs> Trekkies. A, I'm not a sci-fi guy, but I don't pick Star Wars over Star Trek or anything like that because there's a real, some real battles going on out there. Uh, indifference. But the, th the thing that I want to remind you, remember in Star Trek, there's a lot of these planets and gods. And they all have their own way about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they would have to confront these gods mm -hmm. from other galaxies. Yeah, these quote-unquote so, gods. So it only makes sense that we serve a holy God and his attributes are such that you're going to do it his way mm -hmm. because he can't go against himself. Yeah. So I think we need to understand that what Dr. Michael Heiser said, who, who went to be with the Lord, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser was saying that what does God want? He wants you. Yeah. So he wants you to participate in his plan. He wants a family. So whether you're at the outer court, the inner court, the Holy Host, whatever, you're just, just a basic Christian. I mean, whatever. He wants you to participate in what he's doing. Right. That's why you have the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement. And it's been hijacked, misrepresented. But I do believe that it is the move of God. Yeah. Not a move, but it's the move of God. Right. And I only say that because all these things are required for us. Because here's the thing, right? Think about it. So God wants us to eat the bread, the unleavened bread. Right. He wants us to drink from the cup because we're his children and he likes that. And that's what his family does. Yeah. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. So that's what we do. So God is watching. He's saying, okay, they're made in my image. I've asked them to do these things. Let's see how well they do. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he can still rise up, he can still get up. But I'm just telling you that, you know, when I tell my kids to take out the trash and they do it the first time, I'm real happy. Yeah. <laughs> but like, or if you don't even have to tell them. And see, these things are not complicated, not hard. I think the Jews have added to the Word of God. Christians have taken away from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. But, you know, either, either, either way, neither one of them is right. But I'm just yeah. saying that we need to observe and think, well, why are we doing this? So if a child asks, why are you doing this? We need to be able to tell them. So... So that's interesting. So you're saying the Jews have added to it, meaning through like the Talmud and the oral yeah, Torah. Yeah, there's a lot of And the Christians have taken away from it yeah. by saying that all those things, like right. the Torah itself, yeah. all kind of done away we with. We serve a Jewish Jesus. Oh, yeah. That's what makes us different. Yeah. 
we don't serve some Greek Malibu looking Jesus, Fabio, <laughs> you know, and the puffy bread on the picture. No, we, we serve a, a, a Jewish Jesus, that Jesus is Jewish. Mm-hmm. He never went against the Torah, and you'll never find it. Yeah. And of course, you know, he did, you know, come against some traditions and things of, of the Jewish people. That's why, it's, you know, you, it could be considered anti-Semitic, the Gospels, but they're not, it's not really anti-Semitic. It's just that Jesus is coming to interpret the Torah. And that's what he's doing. And so, you know, like I said, it's uh, so discuss why the sacrifice so, of hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we get to the sacrifice, before we get to the question, I want to show you something that I found in the scriptures that I find very interesting that has to do with the new covenant. All right. It's the New Testament. So when we say that the, rati- the, the New Testament, the new covenant is ratified by the blood of Yeshua. The question is, what is the, the covenant itself, right? What is the proof text? And so the new covenant is found in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, right? But then it's also found where? In Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. And he's going to do it to Judah. Right. That's what you're going to bring out. Uh, I got something else for you. Because I like that. It is good. Mm. We're gonna, we can get into all that, but I, w- I want people to kind of get what is the new covenant. Because we know that the new covenant is ratified by the blood of Yeshua. Good point. Okay? But what is it? And so um, we know the verse 31, right, where it says, Behold, the days are coming where I'll make a new covenant, right? But I want to show you, back up a couple verses to verse 29. And the reason I want to back up a couple verses is because I want to show you uh, what's different about this covenant versus the previous covenants. Because what do we say? We said the first Passover was the family Passover. Right. The second Passover is the congregational, the corporate Passover. Right. Okay. But, and the third Passover is the personal right. Passover. Now, when Jeremiah is writing this, the personal Passover hasn't been created yet, hasn't been ratified. So he's prophesying to a future event that we see fulfilled in Yeshua, correct? Are you going to the New Covenant? I'm going to the New Covenant. Chap- chapter 31? Chapter 31 in Jeremiah. Verse 27? I'm going to start in 29. Oh, um, I think you should look at 27. Okay, well then let's start in 27. I'm we'll just, start there. Wow. We'll start there. All right, so verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. Wow. Okay, thank you for backing me up even more. Wow. You know, that's good. Two houses? Well, what's cool about Two it of people? is because he scatters them Come on. amongst the world. I know. Okay, like seed. Right. And then, like seed, they grow up amongst the people, and now, right. at some point, they have to be gathered back. Right. That's the promise. Okay. It says, And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. All right. I love that. So we, he, the promise is there that just like he scattered, he broke them down so he could scatter them. Now he's going to gather them and bring them back in. Here's where I find it interesting. Number 29, verse 29. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So teeth set on edge, right? You know, you're, you're nervous. That's kind of like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. Well, man, you say that, but here's the thing. This is the cross-reference to this is Ezekiel 18. And it goes through how no more, the prophecy is that no more is Israel going to say the father's teeth have been set on edge. And the That's a the good father's point. Pre- he, I'm sorry. And he's preaching to those that are in captivity. This is a prophecy to the personal Passover. Brandon, Florida. Every single person has to accept Yeshua for himself, right? right? You're, just because your dad accepted Yeshua right. doesn't mean that all of a You're sudden... You're going to give an account. To, that's correct. For that's your what I told life. my boys. So then what does he say? 
He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. How is it different? It's different because it's personal. It's not a corporate covenant. It's not you as a group. It's you as an individual have to choose for yourself. To, to choose the Lord. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, what is that? My Torah, right? In their minds and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the covenant. Verse 33, I want everybody to understand the word inward parts and hearts means the very central <coughs> part of your being. Right. Because your heart's in the middle. Right. It actually means the very center of part of your being right he's going to give you torah and so he gives this covenant to both israel and judah yeah. and what's interesting is when i sit here across this table with jewish people as i'm interviewing them and we're talking beforehand and after what is it that we have in common what is it that brings us together it's torah right so the new covenant ratified by the lord's blood is that he will put the torah in our minds and our hearts isn't that cool and, that, and it just yeah. so happens that that's what brings us together with the other. Well, here's other house. a little note by a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholars, Greek scholars, but here's a little commentary, which is very interesting. In regards to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, read verse 34. It just says, no, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. When somebody comes to Beit Tehillah and they're new, I ask them a lot of times, not all of them, but I try to ask them, is God writing his Torah on your mind and your heart? And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Or they'll be like, no. They'll be like, what's that? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> but, but see, they would know. Yeah. But look at this. It says, this is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Here are several specifics concerning this new covenant. Number one, it is a covenant with the whole Reunited nation of Israel, not the church, which is grafted in to Israel's promised covenant, Romans eleven sixteen to 27. Hmm. The realization of it for the nation of Israel is reserved for the last days. Wow. And that's true because we know that we're still teaching people. Wow. Here I am <clears throat> teaching, hey, know the Lord. Nothing against the church. Right. I mean, he says after those days right. in, in Hosea 6, 1 and 2, it talk, after two days, I will revive you. Right. Wow. So this is cool. We get this new covenant ratified by the blood of Yeshua. And so here's the discussion question. Why is the sacrifice of Yeshua so much greater than the sacrifice of animals? I only have one thing to say. Animals no longer have <laughs> to die to cover our sins because Yeshua died to take away our sins. Mm. Forgot. <laughs> Gone. Gone. Not covered. Right. Gone. Right. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, and also again in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, discuss this in detail, explaining how we have a high priest that is better than the earthly high priest because he actually goes before the Lord's throne and makes an atonement for us by his own blood once and for all, a sacrifice that's only done one time. So every year you would have to bring a Passover lamb. And then every, you know, every, uh, uh, sorry, every Yom Kippur, every Day of Atonement, you'd have to bring uh, the goats. And, and there's sacrifices that are done all year long. And every year this cycle goes again and again and again. Yeah. Because it only temporarily covers 
and only makes an atonement right. for that time. Yeshua's sacrifice is greater. Why? Because it is once and for all. So we're going to move on, but here's the thing. Just so everybody knows, the first Passover is the family Passover. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. The second Passover is found in Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 and 2. It's called the Congregational Passover, where his name is, which is Jerusalem. Third Passover is, of course, the personal Passover. You have to make a personal decision for Christ out of your family. So last but not least, the fourth and final Passover is the Kingdom Passover. Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, if you go back to the Mosaic Covenant, and they made the marriage covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. Right. And in Exodus chapter 19. Well, yeah. What happens is a few chapters later, they have a meal with God and the elders they have a meal so there you have the four Passovers and one we have to really look forward to and we are of course betrothed to the Lord we are betrothed awaiting this marriage ceremony and then the consummation and then the celebration so we're going to jump into for the sake of time uh, if you could read Leviticus 23 verses 6 through 8 the feast of unleavened bread Ryan's going to read that and take it from there so we did Passover, now we're in unleavened bread. Right. What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Leviticus 23, 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. It says, And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to, uh, to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Uh, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no uh, customary work on it. And that, uh, another word for that was servile work. Interesting. So when is the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrated and for how many days? So it's celebrated on the 15th day of the first month and it's celebrated for seven days. And so uh, Exodus twelve fifteen it says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Very interesting. So if you violate the feast days, these particular feast days, you are going to be cut off from Israel. What's the penalty for breaking the Sabbath? Uh, death. Stoning, right? So which holds the greater weight? The Sabbath every week. Wow. Yeah. Every that is unbelievable. So we are commanded to eat unleavened bread for seven days. That's kind of cool. It's actually a commandment. It's, it's not that you don't eat the puffy bread anymore. You get that out, but, but you're supposed to actually eat the unleavened bread for seven days as a commandment. Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. Also, we are also commanded to get the leaven out of our homes. Exodus twelve fifteen. On the first and seventh day is a holy convocation and you shall not work. Uh, the children of Israel did not have time to add leaven so the bread could rise. Um, and, of course, leaven represents sin, and Yeshua is our example of unleavened bread at the Last Supper. So seven days to get the leaven out of our lives, uh, seven's completion, and, of course, Passover is numero uno. It's a, it's a one-day event. 
uh, one-time event, and so we, we celebrate that day. Uh, and, of course, Passover is going to morph into unleavened bread. So the first day and the seventh day, there is to be no work. That's Exodus twelve sixteen, And then, of course, uh, leaven represents sin, and Yeshua is our example of unleavened bread at the Last Supper. There's the leaven of Herod. There's the leaven of a lot of uh, people and things. Oh, yeah. The leaven so of the as, Pharisees. As we Sadducees, get into the next section, so, which is bad which is teaching, our New Testament section, right? Uh, I want to just mention Exodus chapter 12, verse 49, which says, One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. This is in the context of the Passover, right? So the Lord is giving the Passover regulations, even the section here. 1249. Right. The section here is, is called Passover Regulations. It's Exodus This is 12. the time the, f- the word law is first mentioned, correct? Uh, this actually might be the first mention of the word Torah. Does it say into the, to the stranger? Or? It says, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells yeah, among Yeah, that's you. the first time the word law is yeah, mentioned. I think yeah. so. And so this, uh, this, again, is Exodus 12. It's Passover Regulations, which you could find in verses uh, 43 through 51. And in verse 49, after he's explaining, you know, uh, that somebody who is not part of the group, right? Because it'll say here, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is an ordinance for the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every manservant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. If they join you, like a proselyte. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. What he's saying is one law. Right. That there's that when we talk about the things of the Lord, that there's no division, right? If somebody wants to be part of the covenant, they can be part of the covenant. Let them join the covenant. But if they're not going to be, they're not going to have to do the covenant, right? So all this, this, this comes to the idea of like, you'll hear the terms like Noahide laws and things like that, where they make this secondary citizenship, either at a messianic uh, congregation or even amongst the Orthodox. There's no such thing. You're either in and you're with the Lord or you're out. Good point. So goes Israel. And so if you don't fit in, who cares? The Jews have been doing this for thousands of years. They have communities. They're not, they don't fit in. So they have their own communities to survive. All right. So where can I find this in the New Testament, Pastor Nick? It sure looks like the Church of Corinth. So what you're saying is that it might look like, based on the verses we're about to read, that the the first century church, as led by Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, yeah. kept the Feast of Passover. First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Go ahead and read it. All right. So it says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even our, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now notice what he says to the Church of Corinth, which is pretty corrupt, this whole area. It's, it's Greek. It's just Greek mindset. Yeah. Uh, he says, as ye are unleavened, he likens them to unleavened bread. He speaks it, it the way the condition that they should be in for God, that, that this is the way God looks at them. Um, 
And, and don't keep it with malice and wickedness, but with the unloving bit of sincerity and truth. Well, you're either a new so he lump. could write a letter to anybody, really. He could write a letter to all the churches. Right. Well, so what Bell you're Scholes, saying is you I don't mean, think that he was just writing to the church in Corinth Word of here. faith. You think that this is a keep the feast, but don't do it with malice and wickedness. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really being kind of solemn and, and reflective. So the Apostle Paul likens the Corinthian church to unleavened bread and tells them to keep the feast without Leaven. Even all the unleavened bread that were the sacrifices, there was no leaven, no honey put on the altar. So these are all principles. Mm. All right. So we got Leviticus chapter twenty-three, verses nine through fourteen. The feast of first. I'll read fruits. it, and then you can hit it. All right. Here we go. Mm. The third feast. Oh wow, that looks pretty good. Hmm. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of the, your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf in an he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil and an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. <coughs> you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It'll be a statute for how long? Forever. Forever. Like forever, forever? Wow. And then it says, in case you didn't understand what forever meant, he said, throughout your generations. So not just you forever, but like also your posterity, your and children. A, yeah, the first fruits is the day after the Sabbath, too, just so to clarify that. Right. Well, and I... Saturday night to Sunday night. It's important, yes. It's important to recognize that uh, the day following the Sabbath during go. Passover is called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, that's right. this is... Uh, there's some controversy over this. Um, I'm not going to get so much into it. Yeah, but, we don't want to. But it's the weekly Passover. Or I'm sorry, the weekly, the Sabbath. weekly Sabbath yeah. during the week of unleavened bread. Right. The day after that is the feast of first fruits. Right. Um, now the observance was that the celebrant would take one sheaf from the standing harvest and bring it to the priest. The lone sheaf was called the sheaf of the first fruits. The priest was then to take this one sheaf and wave it before the Lord in his house. This was to be done the day after the Sabbath. Is a sheaf considered an account or an omer? So the Hebrew word for sheaf is actually omer. Okay. There and the definition of an omer is that it is a tenth part of an ephah, uh, which is found in Exodus 16.36. An ephah contains ten omers. Now, you may be thinking like, oh, great, Ryan, it's a tenth of an ephah. We use the measurement ephah all the time, but it's about the size of a bushel. So if you take a bushel basket, right, right. then uh, a, uh, an omer is a, about a tenth part Interesting. of an ephah. Notice ten. Yeah. Ten omers of grain to ten lost tribes. Ha! <laughs> I see they're not lost. <laughs> God knows where they're at. Um, well, and, and it's also cool because what, what else happened on First Fruits, right? Lots of cool things happen on first fruits. We have a first fruits. So the theme of the festival of first fruits is resurrection and salvation. Ooh, and why is that? Because our first fruits, Yeshua, 
he rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. So why don't you, uh, or actually I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through 22. Mm -mm -mm. It's in the New Testament, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Back to that church in Corinth, huh? So verses 16 through 22, it says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Interesting. So Yeshua celebrated the festival of first fruits by offering himself as the first fruits to all future generations. Why do we have a hope that there is life after death? Because the tomb's empty. Because the tomb is empty. Because he rose from the dead. Because there's uh, infallible proofs that he showed that it was him who had risen, that he was dead on the cross, and that the men that preached this message, all 12 of them, or 11 plus the new one, right, were martyred and died horrible, brutal deaths. Yeah, they're not going to die for a lie. Saying these things, that they had seen him alive. Right. Because why? Because this is the hope for all humanity, for all future generations. This is the hope. The substance of our faith is that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, Paul is saying here, then your faith means nothing. He says, he says it right here. He says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have forgiveness of sins through his blood. You have to have the doctrine of resurrection to be a Christian. Some people were saying at one time they found the bones of Jesus. <laughs> okay. And um, That's funny. It was a big scam right before Passover and all this stuff. They always do that stuff. But right they're like, Passover. well, what's, what's the big deal? Well, he's still the lamb and he died for our sins. No, then he's not the son of God. Right. Because he said he would rise again. If he died... Okay, that's great. He died for our sins, but if he didn't rise again, then we have was where's our hope in the resurrection? See, the Jewish people believe in the resurrection too. And that's why when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says that that God said, "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob," and that he's the God of the living, not of the dead. That's the reason he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, right. and Jacob, because there is a resurrection. And that those from the east and the west will come and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. The hope is in the resurrection, that our father Abraham, who started preaching the gospel back then, that we're still preaching the gospel today, that there is life after death, there is resurrection of the dead in the last day, that God will raise us up and that we will be with him. That's right. Forever. O oh, death, where is thy sting? There is no sting. And so Yeshua is the first fruits of the barley harvest. Um, you know, uh, Miss Libby Davis has an awesome book that she's written and an awesome study that she does on the Omer season. And uh, I don't know of anybody that's done such an in-depth and good uh, work on, on this. But from it, we learn about how during the Passover season, this is the barley harvest season, and during the Shavuot or the Pentecost season, that is the uh, wheat harvest season. The barley represents Judah, right? And the wheat represents Ephraim, and there's even reasons for that. But Yeshua is the first fruits in the barley harvest. And when you're bringing the bread in the first fruits to do the wave offering at, at, at first fruits, this is the, um, the barley bread. This bread is made out of barley because it's the barley harvest, right? 
Am I right on that? Right. Okay. So then discuss how celebrating the feasts has changed your life, Pastor Nick. I would say this. Celebrating the feast days is walking with God and keeping his appointments. Because the book of Leviticus is broken up into two sections, two parts. Chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. Chapters 18 to 27 is the walk with God. So if the feast days are found in Leviticus chapter 23, it would, it would behoove us to walk with God. So that's pretty cool. Amen. Also, number two, celebrating the feast of the Lord teaches us the redemptive plan of God. Um, I feel more connected with God when I celebrate the feasts. Um, you know, that could all be in my mind. But I, again, I feel like I said this at the beginning, that God has given us an invitation. And what I suppose we were doing in mainstream Christianity all this time is he's given us this invitation to celebrate his feasts and to meet with him on these particular days. And he gives us the theme of the party and he tells us, you know, what to bring. And he tells us what's on the menu and all this cool stuff. And we know what's going to happen. And we're like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to throw my own party. I mean, it's still in your honor, Lord. And it's like, I mean, that just sounds kind of odd. And what does it say? To, of course, to remember his death until, until he comes. comes. That's right. And so I, I feel like doing Bible things in Bible ways just makes me feel more in line with God and in tune with God. I feel like he's given us low hanging fruit, easy ways for us to set ourselves apart unto him. Cause that's what we're called to be. Be holy. Even as I am holy, right? We're a kingdom of priests. We're supposed to be living in a manner that God has called us to live. And here are simple, easy, fun things. I mean, we're talking about a party, <laughs> you know, right. that he's given us. And I just, the confusion, like when people ask the question, well, you don't, or make the statement, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm like, like, what are you even talking about? Like, that's, that's such a strange statement. Like never when I was in the church in mainstream Christianity, did I ever hear, well, you know, we don't have to celebrate Easter. Like, do you have to celebrate? Nobody ever even, that wasn't even a discussion point. Right. Right. It's just a cultural norm. That's true. Let's make celebrating Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and tabernacles, and Shabbat, the cultural norm in the church. Because why? It's doing Bible things in Bible ways. We don't have to defend doing it to the world that says, oh, that's pagan. Well, because it's not. I mean, how, how, how good is it to have Beit Tehila? Oh, it's awesome. Because now we got each other right. to play off. Right. And to say, we're doing this together uh, towards him. I remember my first thought, okay, it was a progression. Remember I told you I watched that teaching truth or tradition back in the day. And then I was like, oh, I'm accountable for this information. Can I unwatch that? I want to forget what I saw. Yeah. It's like, whoa, what I, yeah. What yeah. do I do with that? Me, exactly. What do I do? It's like, and I looked at my wife. I was like, obviously we're the only ones. <laughs> Ain't nobody else. Watching this. That was a divine appointment thinking, to watch that. Yeah. You can't just watch something. There's yeah. got to be God-led. It's funny because there's, you know, there's teachings and information that you receive throughout your life. And we take in a lot of information. But there's very few points in my life where I could say, hey, that changed my life. And I could say, Truth or Tradition by Jim Staley, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, changed my life. Absolutely. For sure. There's nothing wrong with that. For sure. Look for the good. So what three points can be learned from the Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruit from our study today, Pastor Nick. If I had to just nail it down, if I think of Passover, it's all about a lamb, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So 
It's not about the ham. It's about the <laughs> it is funny that Easter ham is a thing. Whoever came up with that was brilliant. It's not I mean, about the Easter ham. It's about the Passover lamb. Amen. Yeah, I know. Um, Ain't no pork on my fork. I know. Now, <laughs> as far as unleavened bread, it's all about a leaven-free life that is the process. Notice that we're redeemed for that one day. We work out our salvation with fear of trouble. We can't get more born again. Yeah. So, you know, unleavened bread actually represents the process by which we want to be that that um, holy person. And it's interesting that it's seven days, you know. Yeah. Because a day is told as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. But it's all about a leaven free life. That is the process. And Yeshua is sinless. He's our unleavened bread. Amen. Uh, first fruits, we should always give our first fruits because Yeshua is our first fruits through his resurrection. Mm -hmm. Second Adam, he's the second Adam. So first Adam didn't make it. Second Adam did. And because of his resurrection, we can follow suit. Mm -hmm. Just like when he was baptized. Come on in, you know, the water's fine. So those are my three. All right. So my, my three, when we start with Passover, um, I always think about salvation as relating to Passover. Because uh, the children of Israel were saved by putting the blood over their doorpost. Right. And for them, this is a real tangible reality because they're listening to the screams of other people in other houses who didn't do that lose the firstborns At midnight. of their house. And I think for us, we don't get to see that tangible reality when it comes to the life after death piece because we're not seeing what happens to that person spiritually as they, they leave their body. Um, but it is a reality that we need to take soberingly seriously. And so I, I equate Passover with salvation, and I think that the altar in the temple burns day and night. And so you don't have to wait for Passover to receive the Lord and That's to right. receive his sacrifice. That That's you right. can go day or night, anytime, and say, Lord, I want to do things your way. I've already tried things my way. It's not working. And I want to follow you because I know that if I follow you, that not only will things uh, be better for me today, but for eternity, I will clearly work out better. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, think about it. what's mm. my plan for life. It yeah. should be the plan of God. Yeah. Um, also, I think we just had like a little power flicker. Did you see that? Cool. And we lost our background. I like that. Yeah. Praise good, God. Man. And maybe maybe we were just talking about something. The Lord, like, yeah, <laughs> you got it. You guys got Put a it. A little something in there. A little sign. Yeah. Um, but praise God, everything else is self-contained, which is good. I got you know batteries and everything. That's good. All right, praise God. Uh, unleavened bread. Oh, look, we got our our background back. We have some special effects going <laughs> on here. <laughs> this is all bad. I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna be careful with my next words. Yeah, you're you're uh, speaking. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> unleavened bread. My point for unleavened bread was don't be puffed up. Uh, the Hebrew roots, we have a tendency to get all of this information and this knowledge. That's good. And it puffs us up. And it's leaven. We become prideful, and pride is a sin. And so we need to receive the celebration of Passover and unleavened bread with sincerity and truth and not with malice and wickedness. We need to look to our neighbors who don't have this revelation yet, and we need to see them with grace and mercy and love, just like the Lord does. He was patient for you before to this point where you made this revelation. He's patient with them. He's full of everlasting mercy and, and everlasting love and kindness, right? So just remember that. Don't be puffed up. And first fruits. Um, we receive Yeshua as our first fruits. We look to him and his resurrection, and it is the substance and hope that we are clinging on to. The substance of our faith is that he 
rose from the dead. Have you ever seen a dead body, Pastor Nick? Yes. I have seen a dead body. Yes. It does not look like those people are coming back. I mean, there's no life. It's not looking good at all. And to imagine that that, that Yeshua, in that state of what I've seen, that I've seen it, to, to imagine that state that he rises, gets up. And not only does he have life, but now he's like transfigured, right? Has a, a glorified state. That and was after three days. And it, so right. that, that metamorphosis had to happen. That's right. Like the, the, the caterpillar to the butterfly. Right, right. Resurrection example. But that we, too, receive that same treatment from the Lord. I know. That he's going to raise us up. That's right. Because of our faith. That, to me, is the substance of all of what we're yeah, talking A.W. about. Yeah, A.W. Tozer awesome. says, if a man has a vision, he won't die. Yeah, that's right. I so, mean, it's keeps you alive. Well, God. you can close us in prayer and yeah, praise so the Lord. Yeah, so I don't know that anybody that's out there listening to us, I think that we're kind of a niche you know, group and that most people have already received the Lord. But they need to be secure in that. But you no. can receive full assurance of your faith. By, by giving yourself over to the Lord, by trusting Him in your spirit and His spirit meeting. Just receive that today uh, if you haven't before. And if you're listening to this and you were like, oh, okay, Passover, this is cool, and you want to just, you're, but you're not living in a manner that is, let's call it worthy of the Passover, right? Because it says you want to come to communion, right, in a worthy manner, that you haven't been um, living in that manner. I want to encourage you today that you can make a decision to, to make Teshuvah even now, and, and turn to the Lord and receive his free gift of salvation and walk in his ways and, and receive the sanctifying blood of Yeshua. Amen? Amen? So, Father, we just love you and we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of the festivals, God, and how we get to have these awesome celebrations with our friends and family. Um, you know, you've done so much for us. Dainu, we say Dainu. It, it would have been enough. And yet you've done so much more than we could ever dream or ask for, Lord. It even, you know, the scriptures even say that we, there's more for us coming than we could even know or imagine, God. Right, the, best is yet to come. the best is yet to come. And so we just bless you, Lord. We thank you so much. We receive the, the saving gift of your son's sacrifice. And we thank you for it in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out at ryan at twopraise.net or you can keep the conversation going in the comments. Don't forget about that. Um, We love you. Bless you. Have a great week.